Okay, John chapter 15, uh, we're going to be looking at verses 26, and then we're going to be going into chapter 16, 1 through 15. You're impressed. Just act like it. Okay, now, if you're in person, uh, in, in the room here, I'm just warning you now, these chairs are comfortable. Probably too comfortable for church, okay? So don't be dozing off. You got another hour of sleep, so you should be locked and loaded. We've got coffee, so there's like zero excuses for you, okay? Um, but man, these chairs, you guys look comfy. I'm actually like, man, I wish I was in one of those. So uh, anyway, enjoy that, but guard against it. And don't think that if we get a building, uh, which I'm planning on it, that uh, we'll put chairs like this in it. We won't, okay? Um, let's start. Now, keep in mind where we at again. It's the final night Jesus has with his closest followers, his disciples, right? And he's telling them what's about to happen. It's news they didn't want to hear. They're disappointed. They're discouraged. They're, they're full of anxiety. He's saying, I'm leaving, and uh, you can't come with me. And he just started talking about the thing that, that is probably the worst case for them, which is you're going to face opposition. There's going to be persecution. And so last week we talked about uh, persecution and walking through it. And he's going to continue in that um, with his followers right now. So let's look at what he says. In John chapter 15, we'll start with verse 26. It says, But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues, Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember what I told them to you. So Jesus, what? Jesus promises to send them the Holy Spirit. What's the Holy Spirit going to do? The Holy Spirit's going to testify as to who Jesus is. And, and then he says to the disciples, you're also going to bear witness as to who I am. You're going to continue to do that even after I'm gone. And, and we know that as he's connecting the Holy Spirit uh, and the testimony of the Holy Spirit with the disciples, what he's essentially doing is, is saying that, that, listen, the Holy Spirit um, is going to empower and speak through you as you testify about me. Okay, so the Holy Spirit is going to provide the power and, and you're called to testify and um, the message is Jesus. In, in Acts chapter 5, verse 32, um, as they're responding, they've been facing persecution. Peter gets up and he addresses the religious leaders and he says this. He says, and we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. Okay, so, so they're together testifying, and the Spirit's using the testimony of Jesus' followers just like he did then, he's doing now, to communicate who Jesus is. And so the Holy Spirit's primary ministry is to testify about Jesus in the church. Likewise, the message for us is Jesus. What also we see here is Jesus is saying, you guys aren't left to yourselves to accomplish this monumental task. Okay, the Spirit of God's gonna come and empower you to witness about me. 
I, and, and I think sometimes we just kind of glaze over that. But you guys, you realize how powerful this is and how essential it is? There is nothing that can happen spiritually that's of God. Nothing can happen apart from the Holy Spirit's power. Anything good that happens in Christianity is a result of the Holy Spirit's power. And, and, and it's so important that we understand that. And Jesus wanted them to know that, that he literally says, wait, wait for him. He doesn't say, okay, go. What does he say? He says, wait. In fact, in Luke 24, 49, he says, and behold, I am sending the promise of my father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Okay, listen, this is the mission. This is what you're called to do, but I want you to wait because the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit is going to come and it is necessary. It is essential for you to accomplish the mission and the ministry I'm gonna have for you. That's how important he is. Jesus sent the Holy Spirit to help you share the truth about him. So what does that mean for you and I? If I'm a Jesus follower, that means I should be witnessing. I should be sharing about my faith. And he talks about how the apostles were qualified to testify about him because they'd been with him from the beginning of his earthly ministry. They, they'd seen what he'd done. They saw that he lived a sinless life. They could testify to the works. And so they were qualified. It says, Jesus spoke these words to the disciples to keep them from falling away. See, they'd been given everything they needed to stand firm right? This, this is all under the context of what? Persecution. And, and he says, listen, I'm telling you these things because I don't want you to fall away. I don't want you to fall away. You're going to face persecution, but you have everything you need to stand firm. And I'm warning you about this ahead of time. And he, and he tells them how bad it's going to get. He said, literally, you're going to be cast out of the synagogue. You'll be cast out of the, the synagogue. And, 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 and some of you are going to be killed. Now, to be cast out of the synagogue, we read that today, and we're like, ah, it's not a big deal. They just switched churches, right? No, it meant more than losing your church. Like, to be kicked out in of the synagogue in that community, I mean, you were essentially kicked out of your community. Your identity would be essentially erased. Your future plans, gone. You, if you were a, a male, you couldn't marry a female in that community. Any children you had, they were going to be outcasts. Your family would consider you dead to the point they would actually throw a funeral service for you and mourn your death. Many would choose death over this kind of dishonor. He says, that's what's coming. He says, and it's going to get so awful that it's going to get to the point where people are actually going to kill you as an act of worship to God. Isn't that crazy that some would think that by killing Christians, they were serving God? But man, we, we see this around the world. We do. We see this around the world. We think of all the things that are done and said in the name of God, and we go, that's crazy. And we're not above it. Why? Because even before his conversion, the apostle Paul was a persecutor of Christians and he was among the religious elite, wasn't he? In fact, he says in Acts 26 verses 9 through 11, he says, I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And I did so 
in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them and I punished them often in all the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme and in raging fury against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. It says, I chased them down. Um, I tried to put them in prison. I was an advocate for their death. And, uh, uh, and I did it all under the umbrella of I'm serving God. I chased them down until what? He gets knocked off his donkey or his horse. God's like, okay, I'm done with you. Right? He's like, no, nah, you're not going to be about that anymore. I'm so thankful God does that today to us. Amen? It's like, you, you're, you know, and maybe you weren't hunting down Christians but man, you were on this collision course. You were, you were in opposition to God and God's like, no, we're done with that. And he meets you there. But we think about, man, how in the world could these people do this? And, and Jesus says, they're gonna do this because why? They don't know my father or me. They don't know. And then in verse four, he gives another reason for his warning to the disciples. It says, he warned them so that when their hour came, they would remember what he said. Okay, so he's telling them this so that when it happens, you can draw back on my words that I said to you. Uh, and so that when it happens, you're not surprised. You're not caught off guard. You're not gonna know, oh my goodness, what do I do? What do I say? Because I've told you it's going to happen, right? Uh, he's like, I want you to remember what I'm saying. Um, as a parent, uh, there are things I tell my boys, and in particular, my oldest, and I will tell him uh, and try and teach him about something. And, and, and sometimes I'm trying to tell him about something that hasn't happened yet. I'm, you know, like, I, 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 like I'll, I'll, I'll literally like walk through, hey, this is going to happen. You're going to have a situation like this. There's going to be a conversation. Someone's going to say this word. Uh, someone's going to put this in front of you. And, um, and, and, uh, and it hasn't happened yet, but I want him to be prepared for it. I want him, when that happens, to not be shocked, surprised, uh, but to be able to draw back on my words and go, okay, I remember what dad said. This would happen. Okay, now, so how in the world do I honor Jesus in this? Okay, this is what I do here. And Jesus is like, this is going to happen. You're, you're not experiencing it yet, but it will happen. And when it does I don't want you to be surprised, caught off guard. I want you to draw back on my words and take confidence in the fact that nothing is happening uh, that's outside of my will or my protection. Guys, persecution shouldn't surprise us. In fact, I would say this, the lack of persecution should be the thing that surprises us right now. There's a price we see for following Jesus all throughout scripture. And, and we see Christians through the centuries, they've been willing to pay this incredible price to follow Jesus. And why is that? Well, we see that the prize is worth the price. Knowing Jesus is worth the cross. And when faced with persecution, we need to cling to Jesus. Because here's the reality. The greatest danger we face when persecuted it's not death. It's not. The greatest danger is falling away. The greatest danger is being convinced that this temporary life is more valuable than Jesus. You know, living for Jesus 
and telling others about Jesus, it may cost some of you something. Someone may say, I hate you. I want nothing to do with you. It's really hard if that's family, isn't it? You might be excluded from a friend group. Right? You may, you may be kicked off a group text. I've had people literally say, Steve, I was eliminated from a group text. What do I do? And I went, rejoice? I mean, I don't know. I'm, I'm trying to get myself kicked off of those. How'd you do it? You know, uh, I, I hate those things. Uh, and uh, <laughs> that might happen as a result of sharing about your faith. There may be friends that no longer invite you to certain events. They may no longer call you. You might be mocked. You might be insulted, dependent on your work environment, dependent on your school, dependent on your family, your living situation. All those things might happen. In fact, they probably will. But we are called to maintain, to cling to Jesus. We are called to witness. And so don't stop. Don't stop. The greatest danger is thinking that that is more significant and that is more important and that is more defining than Jesus. And it's just not. So we have no right to give it that kind of authority. He keeps going in verse, uh, we'll pick up in 4B here to 11. It says, I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you, but now I am going to him who sent me. And none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. So before, before this, Jesus is saying, I didn't need uh, to warn you about this because I was with you. I was with you. During Jesus's earthly ministry, uh, he protected his disciples, right? Not only did they have his protection, but he was the focus of the attacks, right? And so he's, he's telling them, listen, I was there. I was with you. I was able to shield you. I'm telling you these things now because I'm not going to be with you. In the flesh, I'm not going to be walking with you. And you're going to be the focus of the targets. The disciples hadn't faced this kind of opposition before. And so I want you to just imagine for a second, you're there. You're in that room. You're one of his followers. And he's telling you this. And he just kind of worked through what he's basically saying. I mean, he, he said, listen, I know you thought I was this. I am not that. In fact, I'm leaving. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be killed. I, I, I'm leaving. You can't go with me. Um, and, and, and guess what? You also are going to face persecution. Not like this little, like, oh, I don't like you. But no, it's going to be the worst. You're going to be kicked out of the synagogues. You're, you're going you're gonna to lose your life for my sake. That's what's going to happen. But hey, I want you to keep sharing about me. That's what he's telling them. And I want you to just imagine you're in that room. What's your response? This. <laughs> what do we get into? <laughs> Man, get me out, right? And, and, and so it's no surprise 
that we see him say sorrow had filled their hearts as a result of what he said. See, their response was a very natural response. But then Jesus rebukes them in verse 5. Why? Why? Why are they rebuked? Well, from the moment they hear Jesus is leaving, their thoughts are consumed with themselves. All they can think about is how this affects them. They're not at all considering what Jesus is thinking or or how he's feeling or even what his purpose is. Uh, They are focused on themselves. They should have been comforting him. They should have been asking him, hey, uh, what's your focus? Where are you at right now, Jesus? But they're so focused on themselves, they don't even ask Jesus where he's going. Now you say, yes, they did. Uh, We read uh, in chapter 13 and 14. Yeah, in chapter 13, Peter uh, had asked, and Thomas in chapter 14, uh, but they didn't ask so they could understand what he was doing. They were asking uh, in relation to how and because it impacted them. Those earlier questions were more of a protest over his abandoning them than an expression of genuine interest in what he was about to experience. Does that make sense? You know, um, before I go uh, to work in the morning, and if it's before my my kids go to school, uh, my my oldest boys, they they will say, uh, Dad, what are you doing tonight? Now, when they ask me, what are you doing tonight? Do you think they really care what I'm doing? They don't. They're not like, oh, great. You have this leadership. Oh, you're going to speak at this. Oh, fantastic, dad. I'm going to pray for you all day at school. That's not at all. No. What are they thinking? They're asking that question. Why? When are you going to be home? That's essentially what they're asking, right? What are you doing tonight? Because I want to know when you're going to be home for me. I love them for that. I do but I want you to think about that for us, for them. The questions they're asking Jesus, it's not about Jesus. It's about what it's going to do to them. They're the focus here. Their thoughts weren't concerned on what this moment meant for Jesus, but only on what it meant for them. You guys, we do the same thing, don't we? Don't we? Something happens or doesn't happen, and all we can think about is what? How it affects me. And I just want to park the car here for a minute because this has been, man, as I was preparing for this, this was just like, it was like this punching bag that I felt like I was just getting hit. Because when I look at the last couple years and I go, man, like, oh, yeah, I struggle with this, I struggle with that. I would say that one of my greatest struggles over the last two years has been this. It's been this. Something happens. I don't like it. Somebody makes a decision. Somebody decides this is going to happen. Someone decides this isn't going to happen. And, and, and now I'm stuck with, well, what does that mean for me? What do I, what do I got to do here? How do I raise my kids? And, what, and, and how do we respond? All of that, but... Guess what has been consuming my mind with that? How does this affect me? Right? With our kids, man, we love our kids. 
I've seen it over and over again in my heart. How does this affect me? How does this affect me? How does this affect what I want? How does this affect what I believe needs to happen here? And God has just been nailing me with this because essentially the disciples are, are, are missing out on this moment with Jesus. And they're blinded simply because they can't get over the fact. They can't get over the, the mindset. They can't shift to where they can actually take themselves out of the equation and ask, wait a second, what is God doing here? What is God doing here? Right? Because when you, when you think about, um, at least for me, uh, what, what, what I struggle with, like, like you look at the disciples right now. They're being consumed in this moment with what? A anxiety. They're, they're, they're filled with sorrow. And yet, what does he say? They should have been filled with joy in that moment. Joy. Why? Because it was, he says what? To their advantage that he goes away. It was to their advantage that he goes away. Hear that church, hear that online. It was to their advantage that he went away. And so you and I, man, we are caught in this just cultural storm right now, right? And we are processing information. We're trying to react. And, and guess what? It's tough. It's difficult. And, and you may feel like I'm in an unwinnable ball game. But I tell you what, we have to guard our hearts and our minds from going to the most negative place and how it affects me because I see this. The disciples are there and, and they're in that moment consumed with how this doesn't work out, how they wanted it to, and they're disappointed. They can't get over themselves. And so they're in this place of mourning when they should have been in this place of joy. And I have found in my life, my struggle is I'm more likely to be in the mourning camp than I am in the joy camp, especially the last couple of years. And, and, and guys, like, when we, can we just stop being so quick to label something as negative because we don't like it? Can we just stop, just, just maybe us being forced to be at this place is a God thing, right? Just maybe it is. Just maybe this challenge, this situation, this circumstance, just maybe God wants to do something that if it wasn't there, it wouldn't happen. And God's like, no, I want you to go through this, right? And, and I, I don't sit there and go, hey, God, if you could kick us out of this venue, that would be fantastic, you know? Like, because then I could just like practice what I'm struggling with here. And right, like, um, <laughs> that's not the prayer request. Let me tell you, the challenge is my mindset. The challenge is my heart to where I will stop taking things and making them about me. And saying, God, you're clearly in control. You clearly have all authority. You clearly have a mission and purpose and plan. And so help me, God, to get beyond myself and to honor you and to walk with you. And just maybe we could find ourselves operating and living with joy when everybody else is in sorrow. Why? Because of what we just read. Because of the finished work of Jesus. Jesus says, if I don't go away, the helper won't come. It's to your advantage that I go. And he promised that the Holy Spirit would come. He would indwell them. He would instruct them. He would empower them to accomplish their mission. I love how one writer wrote, Jesus doesn't send the Holy Spirit so we can have an invisible butler to bring us cold beverages as we lounge around the pool. 
He sends the Spirit to empower us to accomplish his mission. Okay, the, the Spirit doesn't live in us so we, can, so we can rest comfortably doing nothing for the kingdom of God. The Holy Spirit comes to us to empower us for a mission that cannot be accomplished apart from his supernatural help. That's why he's here. That's why he's in you if you're a Jesus follower. Uh, in, in, in fact, in Luke chapter 12, verses 11 uh, and 12, uh, in relation to persecution, in relation to how he equips and empowers us, he says this, and when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. He says, you're going to face some opposition. In fact, if you're being led by the Holy Spirit, you're going to be led into some conversations and you're going to freak out. You're going to go, ah. And you're going to build up the hardest theological questions you've ever thought of in your life. And you're going to think they're going to ask you that. Has that ever happened? No. <laughs> they didn't ask that. Right? Well, that's what we do. And you know what? Even if, they, even if that is, is asked of you, guess what? You got the Holy Spirit who will empower you to say whatever you need to say in that moment. So there's confidence with this, you guys. And that's what, he's, that's what Jesus is filling up his followers with. Uh, the Holy Spirit, it says, will, will convict the world of, of sin, righteousness, and uh, judgment. So uh, let's be really clear. The word uh, convict and, and, and conviction, when we think about it, you know, it's often viewed as negative, uh, right? But you guys, I am here. I feel like I need to be just like beating that drum that, that conviction is a good thing. It is a good thing. In fact, as I've grown in my relationship with Jesus, I actually pray for it. Why? Because this is what conviction does. Conviction brings an awareness. Okay? You want to know why it's so powerful, why it's of God. It, 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 it's him bringing an awareness to an area of your life that you need to see that's in disconnect with his will for your life. And so I want that. I need that. I desire that. And, 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 and to be honest, you guys, nobody can come to know Jesus and have faith uh, in, in him without being first convicted, right? So conviction has to happen. I have to understand where I'm at, where I'm not at. I have to understand that I'm broken without him. And, and so that has to take uh, place. Um, and so let's stop using that as a negative uh, term, okay? Because it literally brings people to Jesus. You know, like, like, like some of you pray for people and you're like, God, I pray that you would convict them. I pray that you would convict their heart. I pray that you would reveal yourself and convict uh, the truth in how they're living. And I pray that, that, that you would reveal to them how that's harmful, how it's damaging, how it doesn't reflect your best for their life. Now, here's the thing. Don't tell someone you're praying for them to be convicted. That's not good, okay? You won't get the response you're looking for, okay? If I walk up to somebody and say, listen, I just want you to know, I am praying that God would convict you of that. That's, that's just, you're not going to get the response you're thinking you're going to get, okay? But he says, I'm going to 
what? I'm going to convict and I, and, and, and when we think about convict, he's going to expose, right? He says he's going to expose uh, the sin. Jesus in his life, he was what? The light of the world uh, and the world was in darkness. And so he exposed, he revealed. And just through his life and his words, there was sin that was revealed in people. And just as that was convicting, the spirit also will convict the world. The Spirit will convict the world of righteousness, it says. Now, how do you convict a person of righteousness? Isn't righteousness a a good thing? Throughout the Gospel of John, we see uh, two uh, different types of righteousness. We see one type of righteousness that is uh, a righteousness of man apart from God. We call that self-righteousness. And then we see a righteousness uh, that is a righteousness of God. It's a byproduct of God. And these two types of righteousnesses are at war with each other all throughout the gospel. And and, and we see that. We see that competing. We see with the Pharisees, right? The Pharisees are caught in the self-righteousness, and Jesus is trying to get them to look outside of that, to see the righteousness of God, the heart and the intent of God, to where he heals someone, and it's on the Sabbath, and all they can think about is, you did that on the Sabbath. Okay, that's self-righteousness, Right? And, and, and so uh, we see that part of the role of the Holy Spirit is to convict us out of that self-righteousness. Uh, the Holy Spirit convicts the unbelieving world of judgment, it says. Uh, Jesus urged them to stop judging uh, in the way they, they were judging and judge uh, in accordance with his righteous judgment. But they persisted, right? They're like, no, we're going to do what we want to do. And and so as a result of that unbelief and unwillingness, they were going to face the same condemnation, it says, that ultimately Satan faced. And so what is our role in this? The role of a disciple is to faithfully bear witness to Jesus. And the role of the Holy Spirit is to make that testimony spiritually effective. I love that. You know why I love that? It means it doesn't rest on me. It doesn't rest on your ability. It doesn't rest on you just having the the perfect words at the perfect time. The power rests in the spirit. Any work that's going to be done that changes the life is through the work of the spirit. And so that doesn't rest on you. You're called to be faithful. You're called to be a faithful witness. You're called to cling to Jesus. And as you um, live out and pursue the mission he has for you, you don't have to get caught up with the score. You just be faithful. And the Holy Spirit says, I'm gonna come alongside you and I'm gonna do everything I need to do to accomplish God's perfect plan for your life. That's amazing. In verses 12 through 15, it says, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Jesus is saying, I, I have more, I have more to tell you, but because why? Because they're overcome with sadness, because they're not understanding the significance of what he's doing. He's like, I can't tell you about it now. You have to find out later. 
I mean, we, we know that Jesus in John chapter two, he predicted his resurrection. And yet we read that it wasn't until after he was dead and had raised again, rose from the dead that the disciples remembered, oh yeah, you said you were gonna do that. But we see that when the Holy Spirit comes, he will guide the disciples into all truth. The answers to their questions, they're, they're going to come through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit will indwell them and instruct them as they continue on their mission. He says the Spirit will guide you. He will guide you. He will reiterate. He will expand the truths that are taught by Jesus. See, the Spirit guides us into truth as we listen to him speak through his word. You guys, uh, while Jesus was on earth, he didn't act on his own initiative, did he? He always did what? The will of the Father. See, the Spirit, the Spirit's not going to speak on on his own initiative. He's going to speak about what he hears. He will, like the Son, he will always act in complete harmony with the Father. The Holy Spirit's leading will always be consistent with God's revealed will in the Bible. He will never lead you to violate God's word. Spirit will never do that. In fact, in fact, that's why uh, we're told to test the spirits, right? To test them. What do I test it against? You test the spirits against God's word because you need to know, is this the Holy Spirit or is this a spirit trying to um, emulate, trying to manipulate what uh, the Holy Spirit's actually doing, what he's actually leading you uh, to do. And so you guys, uh, and this is a big one uh, because people will tell me, oh, the Spirit's leading me to do this. And I'm like, no, no, he's not. He's not. That is against what he clearly says in scripture. And who inspired scripture? The Holy Spirit. So why in the world would the Holy Spirit inspire God's word to be written and then say, and then tell you, just you, hey, you should totally go against what I inspired. That doesn't work. That's like me having a conversation with my son and being like, hey, I know I said this to you, okay? And it was important and you needed it. But now I want you to ignore it. It, Just forget everything about it. And you look at me like, what? Okay, that's how we're acting when we, when, we, when we go, oh, he's leading me to do this, but it, but it goes against scripture. You guys, we gotta make sure it aligns with scripture. Um, having promised that the, the spirit would reveal the truth to the disciples, the Lord then gave them the ultimate purpose of the Holy Spirit's revelation. And this is huge. He says, he will glorify me. Jesus said, for he will take of mine and will disclose it to you. So the Holy Spirit's ministry is to glorify Jesus by disclosing the truth about him, just as Jesus glorified the Father by revealing uh, him. You guys, the Holy Spirit doesn't point to himself. He points to the Son. Now, why is that important? Because whenever you talk about the Holy Spirit, everybody wants to talk about all of these activities, all of these manifestations, all of these uh, other things, these giftings and all of that. And if we're not careful, we will become so sidetracked into looking for all of these things that we forget the very purpose of the Holy Spirit, which is to point me to Jesus. I mean, that's it. He's like, and I'm gonna do whatever I need to do to point you to him, to bring you back to him. He doesn't point to himself, but to the son. 
I want to close with, with, with these verses here. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. And just listen to these words, please. It says, But as it is written, What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. Did you guys hear that? Oh man, this is a struggle. These seats are the worst thing to ever happen to you. Come on, come on. Man, A15 was better than that, you guys. Like, like, okay, I'm just gonna read it again. I'm sorry if you're online and you're alert. I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to this room. We got a problem in here, okay? Just listen. Come on. Whatever you gotta do, okay? It's like I tell my boys, get in the ready position. You get in the ready position right now. Come on. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. Do you hear that? Oh, yeah. Verse 10. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. Oh, man. Oh, wow. We a clap? Jeez. It's the boringest movie I ever saw. <laughs> we ain't going to allow you to do the rotten tomatoes thing. That's for sure, man. <laughs> Guys, what this does, what this does is this. And this hit me in the closing set of worship at the last gathering. There is a line and a song that they're going to sing. And the line just like procked me. And the line said, when I see the cross, you see an empty tomb. And I sat there, I stood there, and I looked at the line, and I just went, oh. And I go, I'm the guy, I'm the guy that's caught up on the cross. I'm not on the cross. I'm, the, I'm, I'm, I'm there mourning what's going on the cross. I'm the one going, it's done, it's over. Ah, it was so cool while it lasted. The miracles, the friendship, all those things. Guys, this is it. There he is. It's over. What a moment. What a, what a time to be alive. We'll always talk about this. But there it is. I think that's how my response has been to culture. Everything I'm looking at, I'm looking at it like it's the cross. And then that next line, that you see an empty tomb. In other words, in that very thing that we go, that's the worst. I thought that was the worst. No, that's the worst. This is it. I'm done. I'm over it. All these things we've said to ourselves. Guess what? That means I'm looking at it like it's the cross. And that is to negate the verses I just read to you. Because I, as a Jesus follower, are called to look at the cross and see the empty tomb. I look at the cross now and I see what? Victory's been won. You guys, nothing, nothing has happened that has hijacked the victory that Jesus has won. 
There's nothing that's going to happen. There's no mandate or whatever they can do. No, nothing that anyone's going to do, whether it's whoever it may be, you guys. I don't know who, who's who anymore. But it, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. We have to stop seeing a cross. We've got to see an empty tomb. And we've got to walk in that. And we've got to allow the Holy Spirit to lead us into that, knowing and trusting him. Because, boy, it's tough to trust anything, isn't it? But I can look at that and I can read those verses and I can say again, what no eye has seen nor ear heard nor the heart of man imagined. The heart of man even imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the spirit. The spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. The depths of God are available to you to help you see the empty tomb so that I no longer have to sit and wallow in, in this like, oh, woe is me situation because I now see an empty tomb. And so it's over. I, we win. And so it, it's, I'm sick of preaching about it. I got to go home and actually do it though, right? I got I to gotta demonstrate this. I got to live out of this. I got to respond differently and I got to lead differently. And I pray that for all of us, we can do that. Not because you're capable of doing it. Listen, uh, there's been a lot that's done and said to you that's unfair. And you may feel completely justified and the world may say, yep, you're justified in that belief, in that thought. But guess what? By the authority of scripture, there's an empty tomb that says differently, Okay. And so we move forward with anticipation and excitement. Let's pray.